Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Kendra Cook with Bob Parks Realty in Brentwood, Tennessee. Last year, she closed 124 transactions with a total sales volume of $19 million. Her average sales price was $186,000, of which 23% were buyers and 77% were sellers. She operates a team with 10 members, three buyer agents, one director of operations transaction coordinator, one listing coordinator, one part-time business development coordinator, one part-time field runner, one part-time REO coordinator, one part-time marketing project manager, and one team leader. Kendra Cook is the team leader of Cook Realty Partners. She's been an agent for 16 years. She sold 1,584 homes in her career. In this call, Kendra talks about starting as a part-time receptionist in a real estate office while attending college learning real estate, working the administrative operations side of a brokerage for 10 years before getting her license, how she sold 24 homes her first year while pushing her newborn in a stroller, why she works as a listing agent with four new home builders, how she became the exclusive listing agent in her area for one of the biggest builders in the nation, why building personal relationships is the key to her success, how she built her own networking group with multi-transactional referral partners that resulted in 31 closings last year, her exact marketing plan for past clients and sphere of influence that generates 60 to 80% of her business each year, plus team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Kendra. Thank you, Mike. Kendra, before we talk about what you're doing now, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Well, unfortunately, there is no before real estate for me. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you how I got here. Um, I actually am originally from Southern Illinois. My mom was a paralegal, and I kind of always thought I wanted to be a law student and become a lawyer and and just, you know, make a lot of money and be very, very, uh, you know, independent woman in the law field. I grew up in Southern Illinois about three hours from Nashville, Tennessee, and we came to Nashville all the time for summer vacations to Opryland. And so I decided after I graduated high school, I would just move to Nashville and work at Opryland until I could get in law school, and the rest is history. Well, unfortunately, it didn't work out like that. When I got here, Opryland had already hired their summer staff, and I went to a temp agency to find work and was placed in a real estate office answering the phone on the weekend so I could go to school during the day. And the gentleman that owned that firm saw something in me I never saw in myself. He 
he would come in every weekend and sit in front of my desk. And that was before lock boxes. So I had to, you know, organize the big keys in the box every weekend when people would come in to pick up keys to show our listings. And we had the big MLS books, you know, that were delivered, those big hunking books. We'd write their names on them on the weekend. So it'd be all fresh for the new week. And he would come in and sit in front of my desk and he kept saying, I think you're going to be a great realtor. And I kept saying, no way, I'm going to be an attorney. What are you talking about? So he uh, continued to inspire me and uh, kind of moved me into a path that he said, just come here full time for one semester, just try it. And if you don't like it, I'll pay for you for a semester to go back to school. And I thought, you know, for a struggling student, that was a win-win. And uh, 18 years old. So I said, okay. That's how my real estate journey started, and I started answering the phones there very quickly. He moved me into an administrative position. This was in 88, 89, and 90 when the REO division was booming, like we've been through over the last couple of years in our market. He moved me into an REO position and really taught me how to do financials, how to get the lawn cut, and how to turn the utilities on. And from there, he moved me into a relocation position and kind of handled incoming and outgoing referrals. Just kind of let me blossom put me on a journey to work for him for a few years, and then he moved me into a position to work for a top producer. So I technically didn't start selling until I got my license in 97 and started selling in 98. But my whole background, other than working at the Dairy Queen my senior year in high school, um, has all been in real estate. So that's kind of been my journey. And in 1998, I had my son and was licensed and decided that I wanted to be a little bit more of a mom and have that big word called freedom, which all of us in real estate know there's very little of that until you get some structure and balance going. But that's really how my journey has has been. It's all been in real estate. So you came up through the operational side of a brokerage. And it sounds like you did that for quite a while, maybe, what is that, almost 10 years? Yeah, I was about eight and a half years, and I did get licensed in 97, but wasn't selling, was still just a licensed assistant in the operation, and then went on bed rest, and when after I had my son, I said, you know what, I'm going to kind of work the hours that I want to work, and, and uh, took the approach that I would go into sales, and, you know, God has a different plan for that, too, you know, shortly after we got in sales, I was going to work when I wanted to work, my husband employment changed, and it was kind of sink or swim. And he said, you know what, you want to do this for a long time. If this is what you want to do, let's let's go for it. So he was a lot of steam in the engine that drove me to kind of become what I am today. So really pushed me along to, to check out the waters. And uh, fortunately for me, it turned out to be really well. That first year that you got into the sales side of the business, did you have a fast start or a slow start? You know, I would say I had a pretty fast start. And and. For realtors that are listening to the CD that are fairly new, there is a learning curve. You know, people are asking you about mortgages and debt-to-income ratios and title searches, and there's so many behind-the-scenes things that I was so fortunate to have learned in all those years as, as the back-end office and, and working with top producers and in a very high-paced office that I had a lot of that learning curve behind me. And the top producer that I worked with really taught me that you have to market yourself and you have to always be prospecting and, you know, the ABC always be closing. And he really taught me a lot of things that some of us, when we get in the market, didn't have that background. So the learning curve is a little harder. And uh, so I would say I had a pretty good uh, quick start. Do you recall how many homes you sold your first year? 24. 24 houses my first year. I had my son in May was very fortunate that I lived in a new construction community and the builder said, Hey, you're home all day. Why don't you try to sell some houses? (laughs) And I knew that I was licensed. And uh, so I was very fortunate that I sold the neighborhood that I lived in. So I put my 
baby in a stroller and I'd walk up and down the street and crawl in and out of new construction. And that's really where it all started for me. I keep begging my son. He's 15 now. I'm like, don't you want to take over mom's business someday? He's like, no way. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think he's following in mom's footsteps. So that's really how it started for me. So I kind of had a quick, quick learning curve. But then I also was put in a very fortunate place that I could sell right out of my front door. How many years have you had your license and been selling? 16 years, full, full-time active since 1998. How many homes did you sell last year? I sold 124 sides last year for just over $23 million in, in closed volume. How many homes did you sell in your best year? 2006. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if I want to go back to there, if that was a blessing or a curse. You remember those days. But we sold 174 homes for uh, just over $28 million in 2006. How many homes do you think you've sold in your overall career now? We're averaging about 100 a year. We're at 1,584 homes, 1,584 for my life career. So just about 100 houses a year on average. Please tell us where Brentwood, Tennessee is. Um, Brentwood, Tennessee is about 10 miles outside of downtown Nashville, located in Williamson County, fastest growing county in the state of Tennessee, and has is made up primarily of three kind of big cities, Brentwood being the first one that you would get to if you were coming out I-65 south out of downtown Nashville, population about 43,000. Then you'll come into Franklin, which is kind of our big boom city where we've got a lot of white-collar jobs that have come up in, in the last few years, as in like the Nissan headquarters was transferred here from California. We've got Pet Mars who relocated their headquarters here. We have a lot of national health insurance companies and billing companies here. Caterpillar is here. So a lot of office work. We have a huge mall here. And then we have kind of a historical area in Franklin. So that would be the second city population of about 65,000. And then we have a few little cities around us. Arrington, we have um, College Grove, we have Thompson Station, we have Spring Hill, and all of those make up the rest of the population, kind of suburbs of Williamson County. And the the total population is about 190,000. Could you please describe your current real estate market? Okay, be glad to. And I'll back up here, Mike, and share a little story too, in that my niche market for many, many years was in Rutherford County, which is one county over from Williamson. When I initially went there in 1998, my husband and I built our house there. It was a first-time home buyer market. Smaller homes, easy to qualify, a lot of 100% loans, a lot of FHA. We have the Nissan, actually the plant that builds the battery-operated leaf car now, and uh, a lot of their manufacturing is in that county. In the last couple of years, we've added, you know, Frankie supplies. We've got the Amazon manufacturing hub there. We have a lot of more blue-collar jobs in that county. And so that's where I actually live. And my niche market was there for many, many years, 13 years. So I still work that market, have a ton of business there, and will never leave, you know, turn my back on my clients from there because they really are who got me where I am today. But Overall, after, as I said, in 2006, after you close, you know, 174 houses, you're like, oh, I'm tired. (laughs) And uh, there might be an easier way. And so I thought, you know, if I could transition my business and be between the two counties, then I could still keep my older business and work on some newer, bigger accounts and larger price range of houses and, and try to grow the business a little smarter versus harder. So I'm 
centrally located. My home is right between the two counties. I live right on the county line, nine miles to one office, 15 to the other. So I kind of am diversified. So when I give you these stats, obviously an average of both counties, but I don't want to miss the opportunity to say that, you know, Rutherford County has been very good to me. That's where Middle Tennessee State University is. I still live there. I do a ton of business there, sit on the chamber board. So just want to make sure that I include that in there. Some people that listen to this may know me as a Rutherford County agent, and I'm definitely still Rutherford County. I'm just centrally located so I can work both counties. So, But back to your initial question, what do we sell average sales price? Last year, our average sales price was about 186 I think we'll probably touch 200 this year. Just again, just because some of the price ranges of the things that we have in Williamson County have, you know, moved us up. We may get a little over 200. We have several new construction neighborhoods in Williamson County, which the average sales price over here is in the 300s versus in Rutherford County, where it's in probably around 170. So you can kind of give a little diversity there. Both markets are growing. As I said, we have growth in both areas. Our Nashville Chamber of Commerce, I can't say enough great things about them, that they continue to bring industry, whether it's white-collar, blue-collar, new construction, you know, healthcare, music industry. We just have a really cool mecca of, you know, I call it the melting pot, that you can come here and really find your niche no matter what it is. I've really spent, Mayor Dean in Nashville has really done an amazing job of recruiting companies to come here. So fortunately for us, our values are up, are continuing to go up. I would say, you know, six months, eight months ago, we started really seeing the shakeout of our inventory is diminishing and uh, we started seeing new construction coming back. I know you and I are going to talk about that a little bit today, but I'm very fortunate that I have a nation wide builder that came into our market that I was able to land this past year. And then I also have some smaller builders. So we're very diverse in what we sell. So we'll go to a first-time home buyer to the luxury market. We sell condos. Really, our market has trended into some rentals just because people are coming here and still have a house somewhere else they need to sell. So we've kind of gotten into that market a little bit. But we definitely see definitely see a lot of transient people coming into our market because of the relocation of the jobs and the opportunities here. In your market, do you have a niche or a specialization? I would say one thing that we really specialize in and that we're very good in is new construction. As I said, I got my feet wet there a long, long, long time ago and was fortunate enough to continue that. But new construction, like anything else, is you know, has its highs, has its lows, has its peaks, has its valleys. So it just depends on where we are in the land development. Three years ago, we didn't have any land on the ground or any lots on the ground, and banks weren't loaning any money to builders. We were trying to get rid of REO inventory. So we found ourselves saying, okay, well, we've got to shift gears. So kind of transitioned into the REO market a little bit. I do some Freddie Mac foreclosure stuff here in Middle Tennessee, which Having that diversity and having been in that market many, many, many years ago, it was good for us to have a little bit of knowledge. But I would say, no, I would say my personal niche is listings. I probably would say that communication is really big for us. We communicate weekly with our sellers, so we have really good retention of referrals from our previous uh, previous and current clients to refer listings, and then the new construction. However, my team does work a lot of buyers. We're very diverse in our relocation specialties, schools, knowledge of the market. So if I said Kendra Cook has a specialty, I would say it's listings, whether it's existing or new construction, it's about 50-50. Sounds like the new construction market is coming back. What percentage of your business right now is new construction? 
It's probably 15 to 20% and will continue to get bigger. As I said earlier, we have landed a nation, uh, actually America's biggest builder, number one builder in the country has come into our market and I was very fortunate in that um, they've selected me to list their stuff. So we currently have four developments with lots on the ground with models and spec homes in different stages. And uh, by February, we hope to be horizontal in 10 different developments. So that is definitely going to change over the next year. But um, currently, I'm about 15 to 20% of our business comes out of new construction. Horizontal. By the beginning of next year, what does that mean, horizontal in your market? That means houses coming out of the ground in 10 developments. Right now, we have 10 developments under contract. Four we have closed on, and we actually have sticks and bricks coming up. And then our goal is in the next, it's about six months, to have six more going. So our target is horizontal in 10. So, <laughs> so uh, we've got some work to do. And, uh, you know, I, my, my goal is to market and drive the traffic there and to take great care of the leads that we get and do good follow-up. And really, it was an honor to land them. But a lot of it is that I had the reputation that, hey, this person knows the market, knows the stats, can help you kind of dictate what to build and what price range to be in. But also, she has great rapport with realtors in the area. I just finished being the Greater Nashville Association of Realtors president in 2012. I'm the immediate past president in 2013. So I have a ton of great relationships. And so they were really encouraged to partner with someone who could get their brand out there and that had a great reputation, but also knows new construction. So I was fortunate enough to land that account. So we've got we've got a big uh, plan ahead of us. And my team and I feel like we're the right people to help them meet the goals that they have. I've got to follow up on the new construction question. This large builder, what's the name of the builder? D.R. Horton. D.R. Horton. We all want to know, how did you land D.R. Horton? <laughs> how, what was the process that you went through to make that happen? Well, I would love to tell you that I courted them and they were just wowed, but obviously it was by the grace of somebody other than me. Really what happened was they had spent a year in our marketplace, honestly, Mike, that I didn't even know they were here. I'm sure there were people that knew they were here, but they were doing a lot of general market research and meeting people and finding what land was out there, meeting with banks, trying to see you know, what was in foreclosure, what was coming up, and just really meeting people and getting their feet on the ground and did a lot of preliminary work long before they called me. They had talked to different towns, um, town of Smyrna. And different home builders went to the Builders Association Marketing and and, uh, Sales and Marketing Council. And as they were talking to people, what they tell me is my name came up many times, that this is a go-to person in these counties, these areas, you know, you should probably visit with her. And I have to tell you, I'm almost ashamed to say it, but when they called me and wanted to meet on a Saturday morning, um, fortunately for me, I don't work on the weekends. And when he called me out of the blue to say, hey, I'd like to buy you a cup of coffee on a Saturday morning, I said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm off tomorrow. (laughs) And uh, he said, well, honestly, he said, I'm going back to Atlanta, you know, in the afternoon tomorrow. And and then as he proceeded to tell me that he had heard my name multiple times in different settings and that my reputation had perceived it myself and uh, that he would just like to visit with me, I kind of got a little bit of an attitude like, oh, so he wants free information for me. You know, that's kind of where our mind goes as realtors. Everybody wants something from us for free. And I don't know, that little voice in my head said, you know what, these people appreciate and respect you enough to give your name out. You, you need to do the right thing. 
And so I told him, I said, I'll give you an hour and then I need to be on my way. I've got something else planned. And he said, okay. And so we met and before I left off on Friday, I told my staff, I said, throw together a pre-listing packet for new construction. I'm just going to take it. So we met at Panera on a Saturday morning and I went very reluctantly, probably not with the best attitude, but the guy was just the nicest guy when I got there. We just really hit it off. And two and a half hours later, (laughs) when I was about to head back to my car, I stood up and I pulled out of my purse my pre-listing packet. And I said, I probably would not be a good realtor if I didn't ask you for your business. I know that D.R. Horton Homes has sales and marketing teams all around the country, but if there's an opportunity, I would love a shot to earn your business when you get to town. And he said, if you hadn't asked for it, you would have never got it. He said, we'll be doing business. And sure enough, we are. (laughs) So I say that to say, you know, sometimes we're put in positions that maybe we don't feel like we want to be in or there's nothing in it for me. And it has really changed my mindset and that I go into every appointment thinking there's an opportunity. And I think that was probably the lesson that was put before me when I went into the appointment was going with an open mind. And if you don't ask, you won't get. And so if there's a good message in this CD for the people listening, I would say, if you don't ask, you'll never receive. So do a little homework, go to those appointments, sometimes even when you don't want to, and ask for the business and see what happens. The work that you're doing with the builders, let's break it down. Are are you It's starting back at the part where they're looking and evaluating raw land and they're going to buy a large parcel and then split it up, develop it? Or are you coming in where they've already done all that and the stick and mortar is going in and it's coming out of the ground and you're going to start marketing? Where in that process are you? I am definitely in the phase two of that, Mike. I do not do the land division. I don't do, you know, by, you know, what the development cost of the land, the curbs and the roads and all of that. I don't do any of that. Everything that comes to me is, hey, we have this under contract and there are 54 lots. Do some research. Tell us what price range of houses we need to put in there. What are the trends that are selling in the area? Is it master up? Is it master down? Is it 200 to 250? Is it 400,000? What's going to sell this? What does every house have to have? What's our standard feature look like? What are the others in the area doing? Are they offering closing costs? Are they not? So that's step one for me is kind of educating them on what's going to sell and what's not going to sell in the marketplace of where they're at. And then the second piece of that is I run each subdivision like a separate business. Okay, so I do its own P&L entity, a personal profit and loss for each one of those. So one of my subdivisions is Woodmont. So every single month, the young lady that does my book sends me a P&L on everything that we spent in the Woodmont development, whether it's signage, whether it's sodas and cookies in the mar- in the model home, whether it's the billboard on the interstate that directs traffic there, whether it's the weekend pointer sign. So each one of these developments stands on its own. And I know whether I'm making money or I'm not making money. So from the time I give them the information that they use to build the houses, then back to the drawing board, they go to start the construction and I go to the marketing side. So they have a marketing person that I communicate with. He sends me the floor plans. We get the flyers printed. We get the folders ordered. We get those ready to go in the model home. Then I start meeting with the local realtors and the brokers, letting them know we're coming into the market, kind of branding D.R. Horton with the neighborhood that's in their area. Whether that's a billboard on the side of the road, we do grand openings for each one of the models, ribbon cutting with the chamber, newspaper ads, radio station ads, 
they're going into a development where we already have some homeowners, I've got to make sure that they're great advocates for us as well. So we do some activities with the homeowners, whether it's a town hall meeting or invite them to the community pool for snow cones on us or whatever. It's really just branding DR Horton, but worrying about the marketing while they're worrying about getting the homes out of the ground and, and, and the roof on the top so we can get paid. Do you have on-site sales? Yes, I do. We have an on-site person in each development. There is a furnished model home in each development. Some of them will have a very nice sales trailer versus a model home, but we do have an on-site salesperson at each location. You're going to be ramping up your staff here as these developments come online. Absolutely. I just took both of my RP1s, what I call RP1s, Realtor Partners, my admin staff to lunch today, and we sat there and we said, okay, who's our next hire? (laughs) And what is this person going to do? Because we always need to be thinking about the next hire. If anything, I would rather be a little overstaffed than understaffed because it just wears on the team. It wears on me. You know, obviously, I have my job duties that I need to get taken care of if I'm stepping in to help them take care of some things that they need or compensate for lack of where we have some needs or uh, some holes in the team, I guess I would say, it takes me away from what I'm supposed to be doing, prospecting, taking care of our clients, retention, that kind of thing. So I always want to be thinking about the next position that we hire to make sure that we're always staffed well so we don't drop the ball, we don't get caught red-handed, not enough staff, people get stressed out, and that's when you lose your team members. And, you know, when the wheels start getting wobbly and coming off, that's where disaster happens in the team. I got to go back for a second. You said in your research phase, you said master up, master down. I don't know what that means. What is that? (laughs) Well, I try to research what the trends in the market are. If everything that's selling has a master down on the main level, then we want to make sure that we have plenty of opportunities to have a master on the main level. If it's a master up, then we need to know that as well. So it's really helping them pick the plans that the market is dictating that we need in the developments. And because, you know, they came from another market, they weren't in Tennessee, so they haven't been watching these trends for years. And they don't know, you know, what's selling and what's not. So it's my job to make sure that I educate them on what is really selling. And I use that as an example, a master bedroom up or a master bedroom down or a carriage house garage. You know, you have a two-car garage attached to the house, maybe a third-car carriage garage that's attached to the side is a new trend here architectural shingles versus the flat shingle, just any trends that I see that other builders are doing that's selling well or, you know, people are requesting when they come to us for home search, I need to make sure I'm giving him that information so he's building the things that the public wants versus building spec houses and they sit there. He doesn't get paid. I don't get paid. It doesn't look very good for either one of us. So that's what the master up, master down. That's just kind of an example of really a market trend of something that could make or break a development. You know, if we built all houses and all the masters are up and the market is wanting masters down, then we've missed the mark. Well, it sounds like you have a wide and deep knowledge base of new construction of the actual components of these homes at a real in-depth level. How did you develop that? I tell my staff, my buying staff here, our buyer's agents, go to everything you can go to. I mean, if there's a realtor open house, go. If there's a new construction model home that pops up in the marketplace, go. Learn about the builders. Learn about the products. Be familiar. When a relocation buyer comes here, our goal is to sell the city. Whoever they're coming to be employed with is going to sell the job. And that's our model. We'll sell the lifestyle. You sell the job. 
So we have to know what the market is. If somebody comes in from Texas and says, I'll use Michigan as a better example, we get people in from Michigan, they're like, well, everything there is built on a basement. And I just look at them and say, we don't have basements. That, that's probably not going to you know, go over too well with them. I need to let them know why there's no basement. And I've learned in my many years here, there's a lot of rock in Middle Tennessee. <laughs> it's not as easy to dig through rock. So when people come here and they're like, we have to have a house with a basement, I have to have a frank conversation with them as those are few and far between. And if you get one, you're going to pay for it because it's just not a trend that we have here. But I think a lot of it is just always be learning, always be a student Always be out learning who your competition is or what the other builders are doing in the marketplace or, you know, if you sell a lot in one neighborhood, you know why those things, why that neighborhood sells. Maybe it's the amenities. Maybe it's the fact that everything does have a basement. Whatever the the local trends are, I think education and knowledge is power when you're selling things. And it's no different in new construction or existing. I mean, you need to be very knowledgeable about what you're selling. So always be a student. That's one of my favorite sayings. It sounds like you're really building up the new construction side. How many homes do you think you'll be selling? How many new construction homes do you think you'll be selling in, say, 2014? I would love to say we may hit 70. My goal would be 70. So you're building up to that because you, you're basically been selling maybe 15, 20 a year. And so now you're going to be basically tripling, almost quadrupling that. Yes. Last year, we had just two small builders. This year, we've taken on a bigger builder that's local, and now we have the national builder. So I think between the four of them in the coming months, it, it won't be hard. DR Horton right now, we have about uh, six, four, and we'll have 30 specs on the ground probably by January. So there's huge opportunity there. Agents that are looking at the new construction market from the outside, they're probably going to want some more of these big picture metrics. And I think the two areas are, what do you do for the builder and how do you get compensated for it? For instance, in that research phase, did you get compensated for that? I did not. I did not. That's part of you know earning the, the commission when it closes. So my goal is always to ask for a full commission, whatever full commission is in your marketplace, and I'll do the research and I'll do the marketing. You build the product. And so far, so good. That's kind of how it's always been for me is I like to control the marketing because I can track every lead that comes in the door. If we're spending $500 a month on an ad that nobody ever calls and says, I saw your ad, then I need to jerk the plug on that and put my money somewhere else. So it's very important that you're tracking the lead. So my goal is always I'll do the feet on the ground work. I'll do the marketing. But when it's time to get paid, I want to get my, my keep kind of thing. And that's really never been an issue for me because we bring a lot of value to the builder. We do research what works in the market. We also research what marketing pieces work. We also let them know what the competition is doing, whether they're offering closing costs or they're not. We usually put together a package of a preferred lender, preferred title company. So when we do have some luncheons or whatever, they can help afford to pay for, you know, some of those things with us and kind of partner with us. So we do a lot a lot of work, but then we're not getting, you know, nickeled and donned on the back end. So that's really never been a big issue for us as far as not getting paid on the front end. And of course, I did have a a one-year exclusive listing agreement with them pretty much since day one. So a lot of that work I was doing, I knew I was going to eventually get paid for. Very good. And so 
that exclusive listing agreement, do you get to list the entire subdivision or just a section of it? No. Um, anything that they list in the year that we have their listing agreement goes under me. So right now we took over, the first one that we took over was Woodmont in Smyrna, and there was 28 lots on the ground with the right to get the next 34. So we came out of the ground with a model and six specs right off the bat. So we have all of those on the MLS, and anything they start construction-wise while we have that year agreement will go under us. Our second one is we started four plus a model, and it just kind of trends like that. We sell one, we start another one. So kind of keeps our pipeline full, which is good as, as far as listings. And then we obviously want them to keep growing, and we want to keep growing with them. Let me just get this right. The builder does not front any of the money for the marketing. You are fronting all the money for the marketing and promotion, and then you're getting compensated at the end, just like a, a normal traditional listing. Is that correct? That is exactly correct, and we track every penny that we spend. So we actually give them a copy of our P&L each month so they know what we're spending. When we went to an agreement together, we gave them a written marketing plan just like we do our existing listing. So it said, you know, we're going to purchase a billboard on the side of the interstate for six months. It's going to cost us $1,000 a month. We're going to do apartment mailing. There's approximately 400 apartments around this development. It's going to cost us X. We're going to do, you know, once the model opens, we're going to do one a month for four months. It's going to cost X. And so we just built out a marketing plan for them, just like we do, hey, I'm going to do just listed cards. I'm going to put it on the MLS. I'm going to do a virtual tour. All the things that you do for your existing listing that you put in writing, you do the same thing for your builders. So you put it in writing up front, and then you show them where that is being paid for and taken care of monthly with our P&L. What about the time frames? How long does it take for a builder to go from raw land to a product? Well, it just depends. If the streets and the curbs and everything are in, basically in the first four developments that we're in, the lots were already on the ground, the roads were already there, so we are literally just going in, pulling a permit, and coming out of the ground. So that's probably 90 to 120 days, depending on the weather, you know, and their subs and how quick they can get a house up. So 90 to 120 days from the time the lot's prepped and ready for the house to go up. Now, if you're talking about raw land, no streets on the ground, no curbs, you know, it could take you 8 to 12 months to get the lots done to where the first stick would come out of the ground. You have developments in both phases, right? You have some of your your four developments right now. They've already got the improvements in the streets and the gutters and so forth. So those are coming out quicker. And then you have six more coming online. Are those raw land and you're watching watching the entire infrastructure go in? Some of both, yes. We'll have some that are, we've just bought the land. We still have to go through zoning and planning and all that kind of stuff. And then some of them are going to be just like these. We just have to close on the land. And, and, you know, D.R. Horton is obviously no dummy. They have been doing this a very, very long time and have a strategy of how to make this work. So, you know, we got the first one up and going. Then we closed on the second, got that one up and going. Now we closed, you know. And so it's it's a, a steady growth for them versus, you know, trying to get 10 going at one time which might just kill us all, <laughs> the foreman and the realtor. and uh, But, you know, they, they really staggered it quite nicely. So get some things coming out at different phases, which is great because most of them are within a 30-minute ride of each other. So it's really easy to say, okay, we don't have that plan here, but we can take you over here. And what, what we call that is cross-selling. So a lot of the same products, as in finishing the tile backsplash in the kitchen or 
some samples of cabinets. If they don't like what's in one model, we can get them to go look at another. So it's really having them coming at different phases is great for us as a sales team because we can cross-sell from one development to the other. Well, I think there's going to be folks out there wondering, D.R. Horton, that's a, a huge company. Why didn't they just bring in their own staff and, and fill their own sales positions from uh, some national pool of people? Well, believe me, I ask myself that every day. <laughs> and I'm just going to say I'm blessed and I'm going to do my best to keep it as long as I can. But we all know in real estate, nothing is forever. So I've been very open-minded, but I also know that I had a lot of resources that they needed. I know all, if not most, of the brokers around each development that they're pursuing and, and their future pursuant. I could open a lot of doors for them that would be not, I won't say they wouldn't open, but they would have taken a lot more knocking. We had our first ribbon cutting and the town councilman showed up and the gentleman from D.R. Horton looked at me and he's like, this guy just stood up and talked about you. And I was like, yeah, those are the relationships that I've had because I've been here a long time. And you never know when you might need a friend. And so I am very community driven. I make a lot of great relationships and I keep them and I kind of feel like if you give it away, it always comes back. So who's to say one year, two years, five years down the road, D.R. Horton says, hey, we're going to bring our own sales team in and we're going to go a different way. I would not like it, but I, I'm, I'm prepared if that happens. But I will tell you, if I do a great job and I continue to strengthen that relationship and drive business to them, I'm hoping that they will say, why would we change? It's working. It's not broken. So I think when you get to a certain level, business person, entrepreneur, that's kind of what I call myself. I mean, everybody has business decisions that they have to make. Sometimes they're harder than others. And so that may become a, a decision they have to make in the future. But right here, right now, I'm working my tail off for them. We have a great relationship. We're growing them. And I, I just, you know, we'll be very happy when it, when it just continues on this path. And, uh, but I have to, you know, also know that it, it may not always be here. Sure. And a benefit for them, they're a national builder. They were outside the market. Now they have a local knowledge of the, the local market by a, a local player. They, they also have a variable cost rather than a fixed cost if they were trying to pay their own staff. You're working on a pure commission. And so if the market fluctuates, they're able to easily fluctuate without having to cut staff. That becomes your issue. And so there's a benefit for them as well to work with a, a contractor position and a local, as you mentioned several times, the, the local knowledge base that you have. So I think there's a couple advantages to them in the relationship also. And I'm assuming they probably do a similar arrangement around the nation. They've found that this model works for other agents in other markets. They should not shy away from national builders. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's there's a lot of opportunity. The other thing that I would say is one of the things that they were very, very direct about is a lot of their buyers from where they trend their markets around the country, the buyers that come into their model home, A, do not have a realtor to represent them to sell their home or to help them purchase. And a lot of them do have a home. So they wanted to make sure that they aligned with someone that said, hey, our on-site person cannot sell off of this site. But when somebody walks in the door and has a home to sell, we want to give that lead and that home to sell to somebody that can get it done. And with me having a primarily listing-based business, 
I was a great catch for them because I have a good marketing plan and I have a pre-listing packet that goes out and I'm able to have those hard conversations like, hey, you really need to paint this turquoise blue bedroom where some realtors may not be able to have those hard conversations because at the end of the day, if the buyer does not sell their home, they cannot come on and purchase the one that D.R. Horton has built. So they wanted to make sure that they put their eggs in the basket with somebody that could sell the houses to get them in these new ones. So that's another whole side of the business that we as realtors sometimes shy away from the nationwide builders and say, oh, they have their own you know, sales staff. But truly, they can use us as a resource when somebody comes in with a house to sell. They need a good realtor to refer those folks to to get their house sold so they can buy the new one. So I would encourage people to have some relationships with on-site agents with the possibility that you may get a listing or two from them. Ah, so you're picking up listings as well as helping them on the buyer side. The new home construction is a buyer, but that buyer may have a home to sell. What percentage of the time in your experience does somebody come in to the model home, want to buy the property, they need to sell their home, but they're not working with an agent, and, and therefore you can pick up that business. If you sell 100 new homes, how many of those are you going to pick up the listing on the old home? Probably 30%. So that, that helps even out the edges as well. Yeah, it gives us a second whole industry of listings and, and group of listings that we wouldn't have maybe if we didn't have that, that new construction listed of drawing the buyers in as well. In your experience, you've been working with the new construction and around the new construction market for a while. What are the best practices for a agent who's working with a builder to sell their homes? What is, you mentioned, for instance, this idea of giving them a monthly P&L report. I thought that was really smart. Any other best practices or recommendations that an agent just getting into this, or they, maybe they've been doing the a while but not full-time as far as the new construction side, what are some best practices you could tell them? I would say, say on a weekly basis, kind of a meeting, face-to-face, meeting with the builders, because we, we all know they're busy, but we're busy too. But where the disconnect usually comes is you don't know if, if you're not talking to them every week what is frustrating them. And so I've made mistakes in my career. Oh, Lord, have I made mistakes. And one of them I would say was in my earlier days is the on-site person's there. He sees the builder all the time. I don't need to call. But honestly, the on-site person works for me, doesn't really work for the builder per se. I mean, they're selling their product, but, you know, I'm the one who tells them what time to be there and what ads have to be in and, you know, what meetings they have to attend. But the relationship is with me and the builder. So I make it a point every single week to reach out to the builder. Any issues? Did you see the ad this week? Anything I can help you with? Any frustrations? I went here. I did this. I promoted it at a sales meeting. It's really just, hey, I'm doing what I told you I was going to do, but I'm also here if you need to vent. Because usually what happens is, Somebody on site is going to come in 20 minutes late. Well, inevitably, the builder is going to be sitting there watching the fact that he came in 20 minutes late. It might fester a little bit if it's a bad day for the builder. If he hasn't talked to me for two weeks, it's just going to fester a little more. And before you know it, you've lost a great account just because the communication wasn't there. So I would say make it a point to be in front of that builder every single week, even if it's just a phone call. One of the best things that D.R. Horton told me is, they're like, we see you in our, in our neighborhoods all the time. 
I mean, I will leave my office for an appointment 15 minutes early just to drive through the, the neighborhood because if they see my car, they know I'm involved. And it's just the little things that we as realtors get bogged down with. Oh, I don't have time to do that. Or that's not important. He doesn't want to hear from me. He's too busy. I promise you it's the complete opposite. They want to see you. They want to hear from you. They want to know that you're doing what you said you were going to do. And that's really where the P&L comes in for me with, with D.R. Horton is it's my accountability piece. Here was my marketing plan. Here's what I did. Here's my marketing plan. Here's what I did. And what I did is I do them in six-month increments for them. So, you know, I knew when the model was coming out. I knew when we were going to have a grand opening. I knew the plan for the grand opening. I put it all in writing in my marketing plan, and then I backed it all up with the money I spent on those events and those things on the P&L. So it's just accountability. The one thing I would tell you is if you have a builder, stay in constant communication with them. Once a week is good. Let them see you in the development. Check in with them. And then if you're courting a builder, it's the same thing. They need to hear from you. And really what they're looking for is market information. Hey, did you hear that such and such land got approved? There's 40 homes going in there. No, I didn't know about that. Are they going to be selling lots? Well, let me check on it for you. I mean, you're just always giving, feeding them information because these guys ride around in their truck all day. They don't sit behind a desk. They're not looking at comps. They're not looking at trends. So anytime you have somebody that you can give information to like that, 99% of them are going to be very welcoming of that information because it's not information they're going to go find themselves. So communication. Now you mentioned you're also working with some smaller builders. How did you get in with the smaller builders? How did that come about? Doing just what I just told you. I started a mailing postcard probably eight years ago of small local builders that I had met in the community or had met at sales and marketing council or had met at a function and I would get their card and I just started a little did you know kind of fat card or here's my stats for the month. If we have a really big month, we sold 10 new construction homes this month, just dripping on them, just a mail campaign. And I know when the market tanked in 08 and 09, different areas, different times, but everybody quit doing snail mail. It was like, it's too expensive and nobody reads it. Well, guess what? Nobody brought it back online and I'm still doing it and it still works today. So if you want to know what marketing I do, I do snail mail, a lot of it. But it works and it's just, there's 25 or 30 builders in our little builder group and we do an evidence of success mailer card every single month. I actually start recording tomorrow a little um, called Kendra's Corner, like a little snippet that we're going to email to those guys and just like this is where the permits were last year at this time. This is where we are this year. You know, this is the upcoming development. Did you see this new construction site started? Just little bitty four, 30, 45 second snippets of new construction information to the builders. And just kind of drip, continuing to drip on some that I have and some that I don't have. Don't want to be intrusive, but I want them to know that I'm successful and I'm here and I know what I'm doing. Kendra, I'd like to move on at this point and talk about a really big portion of your business, and that is your working your past clients, your sphere of influence. If I counted up things right, I think that that's about 60% of your business. Is that correct? Yeah, and it, it, it fluctuates, you know, now that the builders have come back in. But I will tell you, in 2011, it was over 80% of our business. So it's a real core of your business. Let's talk about that. Let's talk first about the database itself. How big is the database? How many people, how many past clients and sphere of influence do you have inside your database? My 
my goal, Mike, is to keep it under 450 people, and I will tell you why. My sphere of influence, that includes my current clients, my past clients, my business partners, and my goal is to keep it right around 450. And the reason is, is because I don't know that I can love on, and I say that term very loosely with business people, they go, oh my gosh, you can't say that in our business, but I really want to take extra great care of my database. I want to love on them consistently throughout the year, which I will be glad to expand on, but that's mail, that's call, that's visit, that's email, that's invitation-only events, and I just don't think I can have a relationship with many more than 450 people and know them and know what's going on in their life, and that's really the core of my business is... I want to work with people that know me, trust me, like me, and will refer me. And I can't do that with thousands of people. I meet other realtors who are like, well, we have 1,200 people on our database. I'm like, do you know them all? I'm like, uh-uh, no, I don't know those people. I just mail to them. I'm like, well, what does that do? You know, you might as well buy an ad and put it in the magazine and just send it out to the world because if you're mailing to people that really don't know you, it's hard to form a great relationship or a great referral partnership. So my motto has always been smaller and deeper. I like to build really good rapport with my clients. I like to invite them to events. I like them to know what's going on in my world. I like to know what's going on in their world. And I can't tell you what a joy it is when you answer the phone and somebody says, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Smith told me to call because you're the best. Can you come list our house? Or... I was referred to you, like with the D.R. Horton thing. I mean, their competitors, builders, other builders in this marketplace referred them to me. And it's like, wow, that's a, that's a great compliment. So that's really the biggest amount of my business comes out of my database. And 450 is about all I can love on <laughs> at a time. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, that's really interesting because I've noticed in the past client and sphere of influence models, there tend to be two models. One is a very restrictive model where it's a very tight-knit group, a lot of selection is going on. And the other concept is just add everyone to the list and, and increase your odds of success. You seem to be in the first camp. And in fact, it sounds to me like you're more restrictive than I've ever heard before. For instance, you told me you have 1,500 past clients. How do you not have all 1,500 in this group? Well, fortunately or unfortunately, how you look at it is people move in and out of town. You know, we do a ton of reload in and a ton of reload out. The other thing is, is a lot of that is new construction. So we have the same builder repetition, repetition, repetition. So, you know, when you sell 250 houses for one builder, when that makes up close to 16, when you're looking at 1,600, it's it's not really as many as it looks like. So that kind of goes back to my model. I like to work smarter and not harder. So if I only have 20 sellers versus 60 sellers, it makes it a little easier. <laughs> so, yeah, so our database is made up of people who have bond sold with us, but we do tend to have a lot of relocation. Um, and here's what I do. If people move out of state, we do a monthly email blast. So we keep them on our email blast so they still kind of keep in touch with us and keep our information. It comes to them once a month. The greatest thing is when they call and say, hey, we moved away for three years and now we're coming back. And we, we've, you stayed in touch with us and we want to use you again. So I don't ever want to cut that tie completely. But at the same time, it's a lot cheaper to send an email than it is to continue to mail to those folks. So that's kind of our motto. If they're moving out of state, we keep them on the email blast. We just don't do the, the snail mail. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. 
where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. How do you track your database? Are you using a certain software program? We are. We use Agent Office, which was initially written for Remax agents, I believe, and then several years ago it went public. And it's very similar to Top Producer, where you can set up your checklist and you can have separate calendars for your agents and yourself. But we've been using it for several years, and then I actually own my server, so we can all connect to the server to get in there. So I, it's not web-based, which I know several people call me and say, is it web-based? And unfortunately, it's not. Top producer is, but they're very similar. But that's what I use as agent office. Let's talk about how you're staying in touch with your past clients and sphere of influence. You, you mentioned some of the highlights. Give us some of the details. What are you doing throughout the year? How many contacts are you making? What's your goal in that department? And, and how are you making those contacts? We do mail, call, visit. So I'll start with the mail. Our database gets two pieces of mail a month from us. One of them is very personal, the letter of the heart. We send something that's going on with me personally because these are people that I've worked with that know me that have listed with me or whatever. It may be about a vacation. It may be something, you know, an expansion of the team, whatever, something just on a personal level that's going on with my life. So everybody in the database gets that on the second week of the month. Then on the fourth week of the month, they get what we call an evidence of success postcard, which is basically could be a testimonial. If we survey all of our clients, a lot of times we get great surveys back and we can we ask for their permission to use their survey or their, you know, quote off of the survey and they allow us to do that. So we put that into a postcard. If we don't have a survey to use, we can use what we call a stats card. We've listed this many, we've sold this many, our average days on the market is this. It could be a just listed, it could be a just sold, hey, we listed and sold this house in the same day. Just something showing that we're successful. So we hit them on the personal level once a month and then we hit them on the business level showing that we're successful. And then actually the third week of the month is when our email blast goes out that I referred to earlier. We use myemma or emma.com to send that. And that is how we invite people to events that we're having in the community or it has to have something to do with the business. So, you know, tax credit, when the tax credit was big, we wrote a lot about that. Right now we write a lot about new construction and growth, you know, job growth, anything to do with economic development, schools, something to do with business. Our e-news blast goes out. It's very short and sweet. So those are the three ways we touch them, mail and email. That goes out every month. The second thing that we do is, I said call, and believe it or not, I call everybody in my database twice a year. And I have a system that I use. It's called the letter of the week. So on Monday, one of my staff print out whatever letter I am for that week in the middle of the alphabet on, you know, if it, let's say it's A's. So actually this week I'm on K's. I've already finished my K's this week. But I call everybody in my database whose last name starts with a K this week. And that call really is, hi, this is Kendra. If I get a voicemail, it's basically, I'm sorry, I missed you. Just wanted to catch up. Hope you've had a great summer. Our team always 
enjoys catching up with you. If you have a minute, call us back. If not, we understand, but we do ask that you keep us in mind for future referrals or if you need any you know, real estate services, give us a call, and I'll leave my number. If I get them, it's building rapport. How's your summer been? The kids back in school? Everything good in the house? Anything going on? Where'd you go on vacation? Just anything to build rapport with these folks. These are people that know you, like you, and trust you. So build a little rapport. And then at the end, you always close with, hey, who do you know that needs to buy or sell? Or have you come across anybody that could use our services? Or is there anything I could do for you? And you're always ABC, always be closing and um, asking for the business. So that's the calls that we make. And the greatest thing is, is we catch them at different times throughout the year. So it might be, hey, I'm just calling to remind you to spring your clock forward or turn your clock back. Could be, I hope you have a great holiday. Just call to say happy Thanksgiving. I mean, there's always something you can say. Every week of the year, you can say something. And so that's how I call them. And that's a system I use to track. I actually write the sheet that they give me with the folks' names and numbers on them. I make notes out beside them, expecting a baby, maybe moving, job transfer, whatever, anything that would send up a red flag to my staff, give it back to them, and then they put the notes in the database for me. So the next time I call, I can see what we talked about the last time. Or if it says, hey, baby, due in October, they're going to go to my October calendar and put me a reminder in there to call and check on it. It's really just a system to stay in touch. The one thing that I would say here, Mike, that blows me away is we as realtors as a whole are scared to death of the phone. And it's free, which is my favorite word, F-R-E-E, free. Um, <laughs> and number two, they can't hit your, you know, I mean, these are people that know you and like you. So there's no, you know, it, it should be the easiest call. And sometimes we would rather make a cold call to somebody that doesn't know us and take the chance of getting hung up on than calling people who really like us, which kind of blows me away. But I love to call my clients and catch up. So that's my call system. And then the third thing I said visit, and I'm sure everybody on the CD listening or whatever says, oh, my gosh, are you crazy? How do you, you know, go visit 400 to 450 people a year? And I don't. I invite them to come visit me. And so I hold client parties throughout the year and invite my database to come. We changed the rules about three years ago, and we used to do mail invitations and try to get everybody to follow back up and RSVP and all that. And we changed that and said, you know what? The only people that will get invited are those who have signed up on our email blast. So all of our invitations go out through our email blast now. The email blast goes out once a month. If we have an event coming up, they're invited through that. So what happens is if you become a buyer or a seller on our team, we automatically sign you up for the e-news blast. Now you have the option to opt out or accept with that system if they choose not to accept, then they will not get the invitation to the client parties. If they accept, then they'll get our email blast and then our invitations to our parties. And I do explain that when we sign them up for it. So the client parties, I'll give you some samples if that will help. We do one a quarter. We do Goodwill drives. We sponsor a Goodwill truck, which when I say sponsor, I mean that's free. We just call them and ask them to bring it and set it up maybe in your parking lot, the real estate company. Invite all your clients to clean out their garage. You can do that around the spring cleaning time, have them clean out their garage and bring gently used things to the Goodwill store. It's great for the community. It's also great for your clients to get to see you. We do a back-to-school bash for our Nashville Sounds, which is a minor league baseball team that we have. We do a usually a Monday night game where the tickets are a little cheaper and we only buy so many tickets, so we make it kind of a force you've got to either commit to come or not kind of thing. So maybe we'll buy 100 tickets 
and say the first 100 people can have the tickets and they put us all together behind home plate and we make that our back to school bash. So we stuff backpacks with some school supplies for all the kids that come and the backpack just happens to have my logo on it. And so those little drawstring backpacks that are pretty inexpensive that all the kids love now, those things start floating around everywhere. Very inexpensive event. The biggest one that we do every single year that is hugely, hugely attended is we do a movie every year, rent the movie theater, and invite our database to come. And how that works is I have a lot of people call me and go, how did you get the theater to give you the theater? I'm like, well, they didn't give it to me. <laughs> I did pay for it. But here's the concept. Most theaters do not open till noon on a Saturday. And so when we have a new release, it's always a family movie, so they bring the family. We have them open the doors at 9 o'clock for us, and we start the movie promptly at 10, and then we're all gone by 12. The greatest thing for me is I don't like to cook and clean because that's not really my gift. And so when I go to the movie theater, I can stand at the door and shake hands and kiss babies and get them all in the movie, and somebody else popped the popcorn and made the sodas, and they're going to clean up the mess, and then I get to see them all when they leave. And it's a great family day had by all. So very inexpensive. It's about $8 a person. So, you know, if you invite 100 of your clients, maybe you get your lender or title company to partner with you. But it is hugely successful. And every year we have a packed out house. So those are some samples. We also do some other things in the community. We do an environmental day. Again, it doesn't cost us anything, but we have a shred truck come. We have the police department come to take old medicines out of people's houses, you know, they can bring them there and they'll dispose of them. We also have a restoration company that will take old paint cans and stuff. Again, this is a spring cleaning kind of thing or a fall thing before we're going into winter, really getting people to be environmentally friendly and not throw things away that shouldn't be, you know, so they don't end up where they're not supposed to be. But anything like that, that you can get your clients to come to you, I will tell you this, do I see all 400 of them in a year? No. But you know what they do remember is, hey, she's doing these events. She's inviting me. I should go. And usually out of obligation, I'll see them. I'll see most of them at least once a year. When you're doing one of these events, you do one per quarter. How often do you send out an invitation? How many contacts does it generate each time you do one of the events? We only send two. We send the email blast, and then we send like a couple of days prior to the event. Our movie, sell, uh, we sell out before. Oh, they, they don't pay for it, but we, the first email blast, people have been doing it, you know, coming for so long, they'll, that'll fill up really quickly. The environmental day, stuff like that, we just send out the first blast and then the second one. And then we put it up on our marquee where we host it. Hey, environmental day here is on Saturday. Here's the great thing about when you can do something like that, whether it's a food drive the Goodwill Drive, the Environmental Day. If you can have it on a really busy street, like a bank parking lot is where we have stars, they put it on the marquee, so then it becomes kind of a community event. So now I've got people I don't know coming and people I do know coming, and it's great. The team, we all wear our you know, Cook Realty Partner T-shirts. We all stand out there and shake hands and meet the public and see our old friends and family that are in our database or a sphere of influence. So it becomes a huge event, and the greatest thing is it doesn't cost you anything. So for people listening to this that says, hey, I might only have 35 or 40, maybe 50 people in my database, sponsor a a food truck. Maybe if you have a food bank locally, have them come to your office and set a food truck there. It won't cost you a thing from 8 to 12 on a Saturday morning. Invite all your clients and all your business partners to come, and you stand out there and shake hands, and it becomes a community event as well as your, your client event. 
and it may give you some opportunity for some new business as well. Have you noticed when you put these events on that businesses immediately coming back to you? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. We track everything. You know, when people call and say, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, hey, they saw you at the movie on Saturday. It reminded them to tell, you know, tell me to call you. So, yes, we track every single lead, and we do see a great return. The Saturday morning movie, how many people typically show up? About 250. Wow, so that is a big event for you. <laughs> That's over yeah. half your list. Yeah, we uh, we did very well with the movie, and when hap- we did a Happy Feet, this is my, one of my favorite stories. We did Happy Feet one when it first came out, and then two, I think it was two years later we did Happy Feet two, and we sold out one whole movie theater, and people were still sending us RSVPs. We didn't really know what to do, so we called the movie theater, and they said, "Well, we can open the second theater." So we actually showed it in two theaters, which was a very happy day for me. I don't mind spending the money on my clients because that's where a lot of my business comes from. So, but yeah, you know, it can be as small as you want. You can limit it to 50 people if that's your budget. So people listening to the CD go, wow, that's a lot of money. It is when you're on this big of a scale. However, you know, you can make it as small as you want it to be. I have a friend who does it and she does an adult movie and she did all the Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, every one of them as they came out, all the sequels. And she limited it to 50 people just to the first 25 couples. So, you can set the rules. It's your game. You know, you can set the rules, but it's really just about getting in front of your clients. And it's very hard to do one-on-one. It's much easier when you can bring them to you to an event and see more than one at a time. Better use of your time. We call that leverage, you know, leveraging your time. You're doing the meet and greet out front. How do you make sure you remember everyone's name? Oh, I don't. Believe me, I don't. The rule is my husband has to be there. And if I don't in- introduce them to him in the first 10 or 15 seconds, he says, now, what was your name? I'm Greg. I'm, you know, and so he is my advocate. He stands here. One of my assistants has to be beside me because there are many that come in, especially as the kids get older. Some of these kids, they'll come when they're four and five and then we don't see them for a couple of years. And then they come back to, if we show a movie, they really want to see and they come back. We're like, wow, what happened to that little boy? You know, who, who are you? So, um, yeah, the rule is if I haven't introduced you in the first 10 to 15 seconds, you got to speak up and get their name because I don't know. <laughs> um, that's our rule when we're at dinner, anywhere, because people come up and talk to us all the time. And I'll be, I'll be, I will be, used to say, I, I don't know who that is. I couldn't introduce you. He's like, that's okay. I'm like, we got to get a rule set, you know, quick. So, yeah, that's the rule. At that movie event, do you hand anything out to the folks that are coming through? Any kind of spiffs, T-shirts, bags, anything with your name on it? We do. We have lots of trinkets. So we always set up a little table. And we do pins. We do luggage tags. Our luggage tags is one of the favorites that everybody loves. We've done the little lint brushes. We've done um, pizza cutters. We've done little white bottle openers with our logo on it. So we just switch it up order trinkets and we set them out when we go places like that for people to take. Do you put up a sign or a banner in the movie theater? I do not. I do not because that morning it's just our clients there. Now when we do our events out in the community, we do have, I do have a full-size banner that we put up, but for the movie theater, it's just us there. So everybody's there that knows us anyway. We don't always know them, but they do know us. Do you give a speech or any kind of presentation before the movie starts or after the movie ends? That's a great question. I always go down front 
the guy always comes and says, okay, I'm ready to start. So I'll go down, down to the front and just thank everybody for coming. And we usually try to do it somewhere between Thanksgiving and Christmas, just around the holidays, because we love the holiday family movies. We've done, like I said, Happy Feet and Polar Express and Alvin and the Chipmunks, anything like that that we can draw on the families. And um, I just thank them for coming and wish them a happy, happy and safe holiday and you know, thank them for their continued success and stuff like that. And it, it's amazing how many kids bring us colored pictures or, you know, stuff like that because they come every year to thank us. And so it, it's very heartwarming. It's one of my favorite days of the year for us. Do your vendors participate? Do they either show up and or pay for any of it? They do not pay for anything. This is something I've done for years on my own, but I do invite them and they're always welcome to bring their families. And, if, you know, if, if they can gain some business from it, great, but they do not pay for it. That's something that I've always paid for. I think you mentioned a concept called top clubs. What's top clubs? If you go through your database, Mike, I'm sure as a realtor, there are people in there that you look at that say they have the opportunity to refer me multiple times. They have a big book of business. There's opportunity for us to do referral partnerships immensely throughout the year. So what I did was went back through my database and said, okay, I want to look for those kind of people and I'm going to form a top club. And some of those people in that group, I'll just give you some examples, financial planner, CPA, title company, lender, restoration company, HR directors, Anybody that has the opportunity to refer us, okay? So you're thinking, well, how do they refer you? Well, let's say my will and trust attorney, one of our very trusted advisors, obviously, she has somebody come in to review their will, and they say, well, we've inherited this house from our parents. We really don't know what to do with it. We'd love to sell it. She says, you know what? Let me get you in touch with my trusted realtor advisor, and I'll have her give you a call and see if, if now's the time to sell or if we need to add it into the will and, and wait a couple of years for the, the market to rebound. She just generated a lead for me. Okay. So in return, I want to look for people just like her that have face-to-face appointments with people that can say, same thing with a financial planner. Hey, we're considering, you know, selling our son's house is down by Vanderbilt. We've had it. He's graduated. It's time to get rid of it to rental. Let me have you call my trusted advisor. So these people generate referrals for us, and in return, I look for referrals for them. So I made them into a top club, which is basically Kendra Cook's B&I group, my own little B&I. So what I do for these folks is I look for referrals for them. They look for referrals for me. I host a happy hour once a month from 5 to 6.30, the same place, the third Monday of every month, no, you know, no obligation. I order a few appetizers and set them out. I run the tab from 5 to 6.30. Everybody pops in when they can. And we've become our own little BNI networking group. I'm not kidding. You know, the insurance guy and my restoration guy have a great partnership. And every time they work together, they're like, it's because of Kendra. We need to go find her a deal. You know, my financial planner has picked up a couple people on my team. He now manages their finances. Every time he thinks about that, hey, she's my go-to person, my trust attorney my lender, my title company. I have a motivational speaker. I have a couple different HR directors and big companies that come. We have a headhunter. Just, there's a group of us and there's 25 on my top club. Now, we might have six and we might have 17. It just depends on what's going on in everybody's life. There's no obligation. The invitation is one email a month. It's an e-invite. Don't forget happy hour next Monday night, 5 to 6.30, pop by and see us. No obligation to RSVP. 
just show up. My entire staff goes so they can meet who we're working with. They can have rapport because if they send a lead and it goes to a listing, they need to know that that person's going to be working with Rhonda, my listing coordinator, or Darlene, my closing coordinator, or whoever. So I invite my team. It's also a way for my team to get out of the office a little early one time a month and go, go hang out a little bit. Besides the happy hour, I try to see them face-to-face six times a year. That might be dinner with them and their spouse. That may be a fundraiser I invite them to if I buy a table, whatever. So my goal is to see them six times a year outside of that event, invite them to the happy hour, and then I just really celebrate their birthday for them. I make a big deal of their birthday. Show up at their work. I might have lunch catered. I might have cupcakes. I might have a fruit basket. I might have, you know, one of my guys is a big skeet shooter. I delivered a gift card to a skeet shooting range here, blew him away that I even paid attention to that was his hobby. And these guys are a huge bulk of my business. And I just love on them. goes back to that word that I said love on. So this is my own little B&I group. I just take great care of them. I call them once a month, just check in with them, see how they're doing, see if there's anything I can help them with and vice versa. These are great relationships. And out of the great relationships, I get a lot of business. You said you get a lot of your business from this Tops Club. What percentage of your business last year came from this group? Well, I can tell you out of 25 people, I closed 31 deals last year out of that group. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the price range is a little higher. The trust is there. I enjoy working with their referrals. A lot of them are business people that connect me to other people. I mean, they're, it's just, it just, it's really just your own little connection group. And I just want to be the connector, you know, and that's what I told them when I, I sit down with each one of them once a year and say, how do you think it's going? How could I do something better for you? Is there anything, you know, you suggest for me to do better? And they're, they're really my peers, but they're also my business partners. I have a great relationship with them. I don't mind telling you how to blow out on the interstate a couple of weeks ago on a Thursday. And my husband was an hour away and my, I couldn't find anybody. I called the guys who own my title company that are on my top club. They weren't anywhere near, but they sent one of their employees to pick me up on the interstate and drive me to the airport because I was going to miss my flight. Then went back, got my car, went and had my tire fixed, and took the keys to my husband so he could go pick up my car while I was out of town. Wow. Those are the, yeah, that is a wow. That group of people, they're people, you know, that I want to be in fun relationships with their spouses, with their partners. You know, I took both of those guys that own the title company and their wives to our governor's club, which is our country club that we belong to on Friday night for dinner, just to say thank you because they would not let me pay for fixing the tire. It's like, you guys saved my life. I would have missed my fight. (laughs) You know, they were like, no, you send us business. That was just a thank you. So I took them to dinner with their spouses and just little things like that. But I I would really encourage people listening to this, this to say, when you build your top club, Build it with people that you want to spend time with. Make those relationships deeper, go wider. I mean, that will be a huge source of business for you when you get the right people on the list. Yeah, I was curious about how you build out that group. For instance, I assume you're going to have a limitation on profession. You don't want seven financial planners in the group as an example. Is that true? That's true, yes. I have a couple. And and honestly, I have a senior financial group. And all they do is work with seniors, and then I just have a financial planner. They talk as much as the rest of us, just among the two of them. We have a couple different bankers. One can do 
something, the other one can't, some commercial lending, our builders come and start talking to the bankers about, hey, when are you going to loosen the purse strings up? So it's really just a great camaraderie of people, and you never know when you may need somebody else in the group. But there's no, you have to use this person, you have to do this, you have to attend so many meetings. It's just a, hey, I want to be the connector of some great people that I respect and that have great businesses and that run their business the way I run mine. And if I can bring us all together once a month, so be it. How did you come up with that idea? Had you been attending B&I meetings or, or some other tips groups before that? No, actually, it came out of a coaching group that I was in, and they they suggested, hey, why don't you put together a top club and just go a little deeper with that group? Because obviously, your database, those people are able to refer you maybe once or twice a year, maybe. But when you think about where your best business comes from, it's a warm lead. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I I just cringe when somebody calls and says, hey, I saw your sold sign. Can you come list our house for interviewing six agents? It's like, oh, dear God, you know, (laughs) versus the call that comes in where somebody says, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Smith said you did an awesome job. We need you to come talk to us. We've been relocated. Well, okay, not that you can be sloppy or let your guard down, but it's just you know you you're not going to go in there and be beat up for the commission or beat up for the marketing or, you know, make a presentation to somebody who ends up going for sub by owner, taking all your information. I mean, whatever the the case is, you know? So my database, I want to love on them, but it's very hard to take great care and love on 400 people, but I could pull out the best folks in there that have the opportunity to refer me multiple times and build my own little group. So it came out of a coaching group that I was in, that I am in. And, they just suggested it, and, and I ran with it. And I guess in about 2010, when I was shifting markets, coming from Smyrna to Brentwood, I didn't know anybody here. I mean, I, I don't want to set the expectation that I moved here and everything was gravy. I moved here and really had no business here. It had none. <laughs> so I would drive 15 miles to work to work my database that was 15 miles back on the other side of town. Just said, you know what, i got to get out, and I've got to meet people, and I've got to grow relationships, and started attending chamber meetings, and just found out that there are great people on this side of town, just like there are great people on that side of town. And so I have a blended, my top 25 group is blended. Part of them is in my new area, and part of them are from my old area. I want to shift gears at this point and talk about your team. I'd like to get a big picture of your team. If you could just give us a rough sketch of the different positions on the team, kind of a big overview picture of what that team looks like. There are 10 people on our team. And how I have it set up is each one of us have three main jobs on the team, Mike. So I'm at the top, obviously, as the CEO. My goal is to maintain 50 listings, generate the leads for the team, and and lead and manage the team. And then below me, I have a director of operations, which I call her an RP1, which is Realtor Partner 1. Fortunately for me, she's been with me 11 years in February, like a sister to me, but just wonderful, very detailed. She does our contract to close. So anytime a contract gets finalized, whether it's a buy side or a listing side, it goes to Darlene. And she manages our contract to close, our team financials, and then she's my personal assistant, manages my calendar. As you well know, you did all of your scheduling with her. She did a great job. Yeah, she really knows the different areas of town that I work. And so, you know, if somebody needs me to list the house and I'm on one side of town, she can look in the calendar and figure out when the best time for me to get back across town and all that. So she's very detailed. But she's our director of ops. 
So she's below me. Everybody answers to her. Then I have another RP1 who is not licensed, whose name is Rhonda. And she's our listing to contract. So all of our listings that come in, the DR Horton stuff, the new construction, the existing, anything that we list on the team goes to Rhonda. And then she coordinates sign getting out, pictures getting done, lock boxes, status calls on those listings and all that kind of stuff. So that's her main job. Her second job is she's an assistant to our buyer's agent, which there are three of those. And she can help them set up appointments or track down paperwork that kind of thing, just be a backup to them. And then I'm actually a, a business coach as well, and so she's my backup for my coaching students as well. So that's Rhonda. And then I have three part-time RP1s. One is my happens to be my husband, which I'm fortunate enough that he gets to be in the business with us, and he's our field runner. So he does all of our inspections of the vacant properties, puts the signs up, takes the pictures, puts the lock boxes on, picks up earnest money checks, drops off closing checks, anything that has to do with running in the field. And then he's also our IT person, so he takes care of all of our computers and websites and that kind of thing. And then I have Jody, who's a part-time RP1, who handles nothing but our REO stuff, does the BPOs, orders the bids on the work to be done, really just maintains our REO account. And then our third part-time RP1 is a marketing girl. She's our project manager, and she manages anything to do with marketing. So that evidence of success mailer, that letter from the heart, that newsletter that went out, the client party she books, the happy hour she makes sure the e-bike goes out, anything to do with marketing, that's her bag. So those three are physically not in the office all day. Kristen, our marketing person, works from home primarily. Jody works from home all the time. And then my husband's in the field. So the three of them are kind of our outsourcing meccas of where we send stuff out of the office. Then to the sales side, I, as I said, I have three buyer's agents, Tracy, Kyle, and Karen. All three of them are allowed to work buyers and listings. Initially, I was the only person on the team who could list and did list for a long, long time, and I found out that there's not enough hours in the day, and I really love to be balanced and have the weekends off, so I have to share the, the workload. So all three of them do work buyers and some listings if they get a listing on their own or you know get a walk-in traffic on an open house or something, they need a listing agent, they can go list the property. So, And then the last person on our team is Tara, who is our business development coordinator, and she is also part-time. And really her main focus is she goes and finds businesses that are relocating people into the area, and we provide a lot of support for human resource directors that maybe are moving one to ten people a year that aren't big enough to work with a third-party company. So huge real estate companies have partnerships with third-party companies who, when they do a lot of relocation business, they turn the transferee over to the third-party company, and then that person finds a realtor in the area. Well, we really chase, because we have so much relocation business here, smaller companies that don't have those alliances with third-party companies and do lifestyle tours. We sell the city. They sell the job. We provide relocation packets. Any kind of information, we can help a transferee, short-term rentals, things like that. So that's her job is to go find us those smaller relocation accounts and bring them to the team to provide buyers back to the buyer's agent. So that's the team. You said RP1. What is that? Realtor Partner 1. Just a lingo called an RP1. We just call them Realtor Partners. So they're, I, I will tell you this. When I first started, it was Kendra Cook, Kendra Cook, Kendra Cook. Then I transitioned to the Cook team. Well, when you're selling 100 plus houses a year, you can't do it all. 
You really can't. I tried, and it just doesn't work. <laughs> you have no balance. You have no life. Your husband doesn't like you. It just doesn't work. So what I figured out at that time is I needed to brand myself more as a team, but I still had my name. It was the cook team, and everybody that called the office had, you know, wanted to talk to me or wanted me to set the appointment, and it's just, it's just impossible. So when I transitioned my name to Cook Realty Partners, that was my that's my team name. Is Cook Realty Partners? We're under the Bob Parks umbrella, but my team is Cook Realty Partners. People don't aren't as inclined when they call here to say they can only talk to Kendra because it kind of looks like we're all partners. So Realty Partners, Realtor Partner, that's kind of how the RP1 thing all comes together. So they're just support people. Of the RP1s, Darlene is the only one that's licensed. Now, some people call our buyer's agents RP2s because they are licensed. I just call them buyer's agents. I was going to ask if there was an RP2 or an RP3. RP2s are licensed, RP1s are not. Is that internal language or do you use that language when you're talking to the public as well? This RP1 or RP2? No, I just I just say assistant. That's really internal more than anything. When I'm out, I just say I have a, a full-time person who handles listings from listing to contract. We have a full-time closing coordinator who gets the contract to closing. And just explain the process. Really, people just want to know, hey, is somebody going to take this from point A to point B? Do you know who's on first? Do you know who's on second? So when I introduce the team, I just let them know that there are two full-time people in the, in the office. If I'm not here to answer their call, one is licensed, one is not, but we'll get to, they'll get the answer or they'll get me the message you know, promptly. And honestly, it's just about setting up the expectation with the public. If they know that they're being taken care of and you, you tell them how it works, that's really all they want to know. Just, can you sell my house for the most amount of money in the fastest time and get me to the closing table? So I do try to explain that, you know, everybody on my team has an expert field that they work in. So we're all plugged into a position and we'll all, you'll probably talk to a few of us, but not all of us. And just explain that we all have our preferred position on the team and kind of let them know, depending on if they're a buyer or seller, who they'll be dealing with on the team. Your three buyer agents, your three RP2s, are they also working the new construction on-site office? They do not. They do not work on-site. Sometimes they'll cover somebody for a day off if we need a floater or something, but um, primarily they are working the leads that are generated by the team being Kendra Cook and the team. You know, open houses, our website, past clients, our business partners, the leads that are coming in are being rotated between the three of them. Do you have other people that are working for you that are the on-site agents for these new developments? Yes. Yes. They do not come in here. They meet on our builder construction meetings, but they don't come to our team meetings. How many of those people do you have right now? Well, we have we have one right now trying to hire three more because we have four models going up in the air right now. <laughs> this is right in the process. This is happening right now. This is happening as we speak, Yes. <laughs> Very good. It's always a work in progress, Mike. Always a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> that's called growth. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Well, let's go back to uh, a common question everybody likes to ask at this point, and that is on buyer agents. Uh, how have you structured your compensation for your buyer agents? I'll tell you the easiest way is you got to be consistent. I've tried it all. The buyer's agent brings the lead, they get this much. And if I generate the lead, it gets this much. And blah, blah, blah. I will just tell you, it is, 
it's the demise of that position because it's too hard to keep up with really where did the lead come from. So I learned a long time ago, everybody's on the same deal, and it is 50-50. I don't care where the lead comes from. I don't care who generated the lead. It's 50-50. So if the buyer's agent lists the house, I get 50%, they get 50%. If they bring the buyer, same thing. If I generate the buyer, same thing. It's just easy consistency math. And people ask me around the country all the time, now how, how do you hire somebody that only takes 50% of the commission? And I will tell you, it's a couple different things. A, the services that we provide for them is bar none. Obviously, my staff is very tight, and I'm very proud of the team that we have. So they get a listing to contract coordinator. They get a contract to closing coordinator. I buy the closing gifts. I generate the leads. I keep the website current. I provide them an office. You know, I mean, they get all of those things. Now, obviously, if they're on their own, they don't have to split, but are they going to pay to market? Are they going to pay to mail? Are they going to have a database that's going to generate 75 or 100 leads a month? Probably not. So at the end of the day, buyer's agents, and I've said this since day one, if they walk in the door and say, I want to be the next Kendra Cook, it's probably not going to work. And that's, that's not to be mean. It's just to say they want to go figure out how to make their own reign and they want to be the entrepreneur spirit and more power to them. I will never hold them back. But I'm looking for somebody that says, hey, I want somebody to lead me, somebody to have some structure, tell me where, where to go, what to do give me a day off, hand me a lead, I'll take great care of them. At the end of the day, I want to go home to my family. You've got the bumps and bruises. You've been the one working 80 hours a week for many years before you got it right. Let me learn from you. And that's really who I'm looking for, to be a good buyer's agent. Somebody who really likes a team, you know, if if they've been in sports or they've played on a team before or they they worked in a team atmosphere, that's key because there are going to be days. We have a buyer's agent who had, his wife had a baby on Monday. And, of course, he's out right now, so we're all picking up the slack. Well, nobody's running around here saying, well, am I going to get 25% if I go to his closing? Am I going to get, you know? And so you've got to own the team. It's got to be 100% buy-in to, to make it work. So 50-50 makes it easy. Put everything in writing, who does what, what the services they're going to get, and I promise it will cut down on staff turnover and unhappiness somewhere down the road. Because when it's not spelled out, it, something's going to come out. It's going to. So it's a, a 50-50 split no matter what the source of the business on the buy side. Did you say it's also the same on the listing side, 50-50 split? Yes. If they bring a, mm-hmm. if they bring a listing, you know, we'll put the sign up. We put the lockbox on. My husband goes and takes the pictures. Our listing coordinator will call and make the status calls every week. Everything they do for me on my listings, they do for my buyer's agents on their listings. So it is a 50-50 split on the listing side as well. Are you profitable? I love that question. In this business, you have to watch your numbers. And that is one thing that we really teach, really focus on every single month. I talked about doing the profit and loss for our builders. I do it for my team every single month. Darlene puts everything in Quicken. All of our checks are printed from Quicken. I sign every check that leaves this office. She does a P&L every single month. And I can tell you every single month if I am or I'm not profitable. It's not pretty around here when I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm obviously in this business to make money. Obviously, that's not a greed statement. That's a With money, a lot of things are better. You can change the planet. You can help 
you know, the haves can help the have-nots. I breathe a little easier and sleep at night knowing that I have nine other mouths that are depending on me to eat. So my goal is to, bare minimum, I have to make 30% net every month. We average somewhere between 30 and 40% net every month. Our goal is we save 20% off the top. My staff gets paid, Kendra gets paid, and like I said, our goal minimum is to keep 30% of our profits. So you're getting a 30% net after you've taken 20% off the top for savings? Right. And paid your staff and paid you. Do you get a salary? I take a draw every month. Yes, I do. A draw. Okay. Wow. Wow. So really, the total money that goes home to you is more than 30%. Is that correct? That's correct. And so I would guess it's from what you've told me, especially with the savings, you're somewhere over 50%. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's fantastic. That's really good. Well, and a lot of it is tight ship. You know, you've got to run a really, really tight ship. And that's why I said it's a little lower right now because of our dear Horton right now. We've got some money, you know, obviously extended for marketing where we haven't been paid on our first deal yet, and that, that will come. But I can honestly tell you, Mike, I didn't always run this kind of a, of a business. You know, for many years, if I had money in the checking account, I spent it. And it was, hey, do you want this bad? Sure. You know, do you want your name on this billboard? Sure. Do you want a moving truck? Absolutely. And I'm not saying any of those things were bad, but I didn't track, A, what it was really costing me, and B, if I was getting any return on my investment. And several years ago, I started tracking every single lead that came on in the door, and I was amazed that nobody said, I'm calling you because I saw your moving truck that cost you $1,000 a month, or, you know, I'm calling you because your face is on the billboard that cost you $1,000 a month, or I'm calling you because your face is on the Kroger shopping cart that cost me $1,000 a month. And I realized that the bulk of my business was coming out of my database, and I did so little for them. And so that's really when I came up with the concept, the mail call visit, to spend that money back in my database with the client parties and the mailers because the best leads were coming from there anyway. And if I would just love on them a little bit more and got a little more business out of there, think of the money I could save on all this cold marketing. So that's really when my mind shifted and that's when the profit got better. And so I would really love to hit home a really good message here. If you're spending a ton of money in marketing and you're not tracking where your leads are coming from, just take 90 days and do that because I don't mind sharing some painful numbers with you, but in 06, when I had my biggest year ever, I was spending $40,000 a month to run my team. Wow. That number again, $40,000 a month <laughs> in my team. It was painful when I sat down at the end of 06 and, and 07 and started looking at a P&L for the first time ever in my business. I was like, holy cow. I mean, I didn't even know how I'd eaten for the last year. And I'd made all this money in real estate my biggest year ever. And it, I was not profitable as I should have been. And it was, it, that, was, that was the end of it for me. I was like, okay, there has to be a better way. And so now I run my team on about $15,000, between fifteen dollars and $17,000 a month. So if you're not looking at your numbers, start. I mean, that, I don't care if you're closing one or two houses a month or 20 houses a month. If you don't know how much you're spending and how much you're netting, it will be so hard to move forward or to ever get ahead, I guess I should say, because I, I, never, I couldn't figure out why I couldn't get ahead. But I wasn't tracking anything at the time. I wasn't tracking the expenses. I was not tracking the leads. And once you start tracking all that, you're like, wow, 
I mean, it is a huge eye-opener. So I encourage people to start looking at their financials and start tracking every lead because it, it will really dictate if what you're doing is working. And if you can trim some fat and put the money back in your pocket, absolutely work on it. And you've designed a system to make sure that that's occurring. You you said you're taking 20% off the top. It's going to savings. Where exactly is that money going? Is it going off to an account on the side? Is it going into retirement accounts? Where does the 20% go? Yes. I fund a step for, obviously, Darlene, who's been on my team more than three years, my husband, who's been on the team more than three years, and myself. So we fund a step for each of us. And then I do have an IRA, and, and uh, we have a financial advisor. Obviously, I don't manage my own money. I know how to make it. I'm not very good at, <laughs> at managing it because I really don't know the ins and outs. So we, um, we have somebody that does that. But, yes, we do have a step through Cook Realty Partners that we fund for the three of us that have been on the team for at least three years. I want to ask a question that I just heard you briefly mention. Uh, I just want to find out what's going on there. You said you're doing coaching. What is that all about? I do. I actually um, am a coach with the core training. Out of um, Initially, it was out of Michigan, and now it's in North Carolina. And it's a real estate coaching company for lenders and realtors. Started by Rick Ruby, who was initially with Joe Stump by referral only, for people who may remember Joe or know Joe. Rick went on to put together this program for realtors and lenders who really want to take their business to the next level. And I would say the two main things that it does for me is the accountability. I mean, I love Joe's stuff, and there was a lot of, is and a lot of great people around the country that coach, but there's that, that missing piece of the accountability of, hey, here's your homework. Did you do it? Send it in. Kind of like going back to high school, and there are days that you love it, but there are also days that you hate it. But it has really changed my life. And then the second piece that it really brought for me was the financial piece. As I said, you know, in in 06, I was spending so much money and didn't have anything in savings and didn't really think that that was a big deal. And when I started realizing I'm making all this money and I'm not keeping it, I'm never going to retire. And I'm working 80 hours a week, and why can I not get ahead? Rick has a money system that we coach on, and it changed my life when you start tracking every dime you're spending and watching where every lead's coming from and is it profitable and is it not and watch your personal finances grow and your budget, keeping yourself and your family on a budget every month and stashing as much cash as you can. It will change your life. You will sleep a little better. It really has put me in a better place. I kind of shifted my mind from I'm just a salesperson to I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a business person now and I run my company and my team like a business. And I'm very blessed to have been introduced to that company. I've been with them since the end of 06. Went through the two-year program, graduated, but signed back up for two more years. But in my third year, they asked me to come on and be a coach. So I coach other students around the country. So you are one of the coaches there. If somebody was interested in being coached by you, what would they do? Go to thecore.tv, T-H-E-C-O-R-E.tv, and... You can inquire about, we have different levels of coaching. We have CDs that we put out. We have three-on-one coaching. So you would be put in a group where you're coached with other realtors similar to yourself around the country. So I coach in groups of three. So I have 12 students right now, which means I have four groups. We coach on lead generation, which prospecting, obviously, the financial piece, and then um, how to help you build a team and retain your, your clients. And on that site, they can find you or they'll just end up in a group and they hope to get with you or or how does that work? Can they request you as one of the coaches? 
Yeah, well, really what happens is the first step would be go to one of our seminars that we host, and then they would sign up to be interviewed to coach. And, you know, there are some standards to get in, but they can go on there. It's all on there. They can go on to Level 1 Coaching and start receiving our CDs and, and some preparatory stuff before the summit. But my email is just Kendra at KendraCook.com if they want to email me any questions about that. And Cook does have an E at the end, so Kendra at KendraCook.com. Kendra, what drives you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say a couple, well, I will say three things, and I said this earlier. I would say money drives me. I, I love the gift of being able to give to others and change lives and inspire and Money does a lot of great things, not from a greedy standpoint. I would say my family drives me. They're extremely supportive, always there when I need them. But I would say the third thing that really drives me is I want to leave a legacy. And I said this in a conversation recently, and it was the first time I'd said it out loud. I think I've thought it a lot, lot, but I've never really said it. I don't want to be the person who is known for selling the most houses. I would rather be the person known as inspiring the most people. And whether that's inspiring people to give more money away or inspiring people how to save more money to change their lives or someone else's lives, inspiring young entrepreneurs to never give up. I I don't know really what that looks like, but, you know, I've been taught from a very young age, leave the place a lot better than you found it. And that's in, you know, any situation, office, car, home, whatever. So I would just really like to leave a, a legacy of inspiration. Why have you been so successful? The gift for me is I'm always willing to give it away. Whether it's knowledge, time, coaching, I've just always been taught if you give it away, it will come back tenfold. And I would not be where I am without some of the realtors and business owners and people that believed in me and saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And so they gave me a start. They gave me a hand up, a handout, however you want to look at it, and I will forever be grateful for those things. And if I can turn around and give that back to somebody else, then I will feel like that's why I've been successful. If you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Create a database. Think about everybody that you know, friends, family, past coworkers, friends of your family, people from church, people from civic organizations, I would build a database, whether it was 50 people or 500. And once you build that database and you get really good information in it, name, phone number, email address, I would make it a point to let them know that this is what I'm doing and I can't go this route alone. I need your help. And That's probably some of the hardest words, especially for the male population that's listening to this. It's really hard to tell somebody, I need your help, and I understand that. But if these people know you, trust you, they will want to help you. So I think having those conversations, whether they're on the phone or face-to-face, saying, I'm stepping into this new adventure, I'm ready to you know, take this to the next level, but I need your help, and explain to them how they can help you. I just think that is the number one thing I would tell you to do. For many years, I had all these people in a database. I just didn't love on them enough. And, and, you know, going back and starting those relationships, they're very fulfilling, very fulfilling. So start with a database. A, it's free, (laughs) gathering information, getting on the phone, telling them what you're doing. 
that's really free. I, I just I'm a firm believer in relationships and and building great rapport with these folks will get you so much further than taking out an ad or a billboard on the side of the interstate. That would be the first thing I would tell anybody. Do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Oh, absolutely. I was just listening to one today that you sent out about the gentleman um, who sold the 500 houses and how he did it with 30 plus people on his team. And, you know, those kind of things, for me, I can see, you know, he was so honest in sharing where he skinned his knee and what worked and what didn't work. And, And that's why I shared some of the things that I shared today, because if you're fairly new to the business or you're brand new to the business, you listen to these and you're like, oh, I'll never get there. Or, you know, she's way out of my league. I can't do that. But we all had to start somewhere. And I loved hearing that because, honestly, it made me realize I didn't want to sell 500 houses a year. Um, <laughs> you know, that um, I like to work 37 to 40 hours a week. I don't work on the weekends. I'm very blessed in that I have a great team that, that fills in for me and have a great life. But it hasn't always been like this. And a lot of the things that I've listened to on your recordings is people just sharing the pain of, yes, we've all been where you are, and there is light at the end of the tunnel. And and just one or two tweaks out of each one of them, you can get here too. So absolutely, I think they're they're very, very helpful and valuable to, to all of us in the business, no matter what level we're at. Well, Kendra, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about that we haven't addressed yet? I would just say, you know, for those listening to this CD, don't don't have any regrets. You know, don't sit on the sidelines. Jump in. The water's fine. People are going to say, oh, the market's not good, or why would you get into real estate at this time? I would tell you the complete opposite. There is enough business out here for everyone do it the right way, the ethical way, the moral way, God will provide. And a lot of it is walk by faith. I I will tell you that, but it's extremely rewarding helping somebody purchase or sell their biggest asset in their life. I can't imagine somebody that's more important to someone's bottom line is, hey, they helped us get in our home where we're going to make our memories or they helped us unload something that maybe wasn't a good, a, a good thing in their life or whatever the situation is. But I say get off the sidelines and go to work. It's it's fun. It's rewarding. I love it. Work smarter, not harder. Save money for the rainy day because there will be one. Real estate is just that way. There are the highs and the highs and lows and the lows. But I absolutely look back with not one regret. Not one. Well, Kendra, you've built a practice to be proud of. You've succeeded in up markets and down by being flexible, looking for the new opportunities, and asking for the business. You have admirable models for working with new home builders, your past client and sphere of influence database, and your top club's referral network. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 224 homes last year and has been so successful, he's looking for a way to give 100% of his profits to charity. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. 
If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.